Welcome to the Industries in Motion podcast from RBC Capital Markets, where we'll be exploring what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. My name is Andre Hardy, and I am head of Canadian and Asia-Pacific Research. Let's get into today's episode. I am very happy to introduce our guest, Greg Pardy. Greg is a managing director and head of global energy research at RBC Capital Markets. He leads a team of more than 30 professionals in Canada, the United States, Europe, and Australia who cover energy and utilities companies. He is also directly responsible for research coverage of Canada's senior ENP and integrated oil companies. Greg joined RBC Capital Markets in 2009 and has about 30 years of equity research experience. He is the top-ranked analyst covering the Canadian integrated space per independent investor surveys. Greg, thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be discussing carbon capture and storage, or CCS, which could play a pivotal role in the CO2 equation for energy companies and other industrial companies. The RBC Global Energy Research Team recently published a report under our RBC ESG Stratify brand titled Carbon Capture and Storage, Dare to Dream Big. This in-depth report highlights CCS mechanics, global adoption, the importance of private-public partnerships, and regional policy dynamics. Greg, there's obviously a lot of focus on climate change and potential ways to mitigate global warming. Why do you think carbon capture and storage is so important to understand, and why now? Yeah, thank, thanks, Andre. And I guess, first off, um, nice to be here to talk about the report. And, and that's a great question. But let me start first by just thanking some of the major contributing analysts to the, to the report, to the CCS report, Dare to Dream Big, because this truly was a team effort. Luke Davis, Al Stanton, Victoria McCulloch, Megan Shipman, Gordon Ramsay, Baraj Borkataria, and Scott Hinold all played uh, key roles. And it truly was a report in which no single analyst is, is a master of all topics. But fundamentally, we believe the global energy transition to a low carbon state over the coming decades, it, it's gonna require multiple pathways to get there. So when we look at carbon capture and storage or CCS for short, as you referred, um, we see this as a major highway in that equation for a couple of reasons. The first is the technology has been around in various forms for decades. So we, we look upon the technology risk is relatively low. And second, it can be implemented within reasonable timeframes, say five to seven years from paper to practice. So when you sum it all up, we think this is a very practical approach to cut emissions in quick order. And I think what's ironic is that while fossil fuels are seen as the main CO2 source, many of the capture skills reside within oil companies. They hold most of the capture patents and the companies have the core skills required for gas transportation and storage. So they're, they're key players in this overall equation as well. You know, we decided to publish that in-depth report now because we think there's considerable political momentum, obviously globally behind climate change. You can't open the papers without seeing something on climate change in general but also CCS, and, and we believe that this is going to translate into private and public investments as it already is. So help us understand, Greg, the uh, the mechanics of CCS. Like how, how is carbon captured? How, how is it transported? How is it stored? 
Yeah, let's let let's start with the basics, right? So CO2 is formed, as you know, during the combustion of, of any fuel containing carbon. So think of coal, gas, biomass, and waste. It's it's also produced when natural gas is processed and also arises in the um, in the creation of fertilizer, chemicals, cement, and then of course you have energy intensive industries like like steel production. So CO2 is coming at us from a lot of different sources. Now you can think of, of carbon capture and storage in, in three parts, capture, transport, and then ultimately permanent storage. So the first piece capture, this is actually the most complex and costly. It involves removing CO2 from the hydrocarbon stream, and that can be done before or after combustion. I think the thing to remember here is that capture costs tend to fall as CO2 concentration rises. That CO2 is then cooled and compressed into a fluid state, and that's done to reduce volume. And then uh, it's transported to a storage site. Now this is generally via pipeline, like natural gas, but it could also certainly involve ships and other form of transport in some regions. The last piece of the equation is the most important. Permanent underground storage uh, involving depleted oil and gas reservoirs or saline aquifers. Now, I'm simplifying things here, but but hopefully that, that creates a clear picture. Yeah, that's certainly helpful. Thank you, uh, great overview. CCS seems like a, a pretty realistic solution to the CO2 challenge, but um, adoption has been fairly limited so far. Why is that? Yeah, it, it's a real conundrum. Um, and you're absolutely right. Adoption, uh, in fact, has been quite limited. So we count 26 CCS projects worldwide capturing about 37 megatons per annum of CO2. That is less than a half percent of global CO2 emissions. And we think this has everything to do with Economics 101 and essentially reflects inadequate penalties in the form of low carbon prices, but also inadequate incentives in the form of um, just low offset credits. And as a result, this has, this has led to large emitters electing to vent CO2 emissions directly into the atmosphere over time. So you say there are only 26 projects worldwide so far. Um, in what countries has CCS been more effective and why? Yeah, like, like so many other things, the U.S. Uh, actually boasts the bulk of CCS projects globally, and, and that's partly due to its history of gas processing, but also CO2 enhanced oil recovery, or EOR, uh, which, which began in the uh, 1970s. So CO2 ER, EOR really involves the use of injecting CO2 as a sweeping mechanism to boost recovery of oil over time. You can sort of think of using your garden hose on the driveway when you're trying to clean it up. Um, interest in the U.S. has also been stimulated by the 45Q incentive tax credit. Now this is a performance-based federal tax credit that goes to the entities that own the equipment. And so when you look at the U.S., you've got both a government incentive and a secondary use of CO2 in place, which doesn't necessarily exist everywhere. Now, just to be sure, Canada, Norway, Australia, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE, they trail as distant seconds numbers-wise, but have actually got some very high-profile projects, and we think that these can serve as models in the future. Interesting. Th thanks for the color. So what needs to happen for CCS to blossom globally to help tackle climate change? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is another great question because you're, you're really getting at the crux of our thesis. And that is, is that in the absence of revenue drivers involving the secondary use of CO2, 
when you look at carbon capture storage on its own, it, it's actually a pretty capital intensive investment with fragile returns that depend almost entirely on carbon prices and government policy. So that's a lot of words, but what this means is that both carrots in the form of incentives and sticks in the form of sufficiently high carbon prices um, both need to be in place. If you think about it, we're asking large emitters to make huge multi-year investments in CO2 reduction. And this is gonna require long-term visibility on carbon levies and also the durability of government policies as elected leaders come and go, especially in a world of shrinking CO2 emissions over time. Right, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you talked about the United States being a, a leader in CCS. Can you expand on what's going on in, in other regions? Sure, I, I think I'd probably highlight two regions, the UK and, and then uh, Canada. So the UK is undergoing a rapid transition on CCS, and this is really from a standing start but it has everything to do with their focus on the energy system delivering net zero emissions by 2050. So a little bit of, a little bit of recent history. And in April of 2021, the UK six carbon budget uh, requires the country to reduce its G GHG emissions by 78% by 2035, and that's versus 1990 levels. So these pathways actually envisage CCS clusters as a critical and cost-effective means of meeting the UK's net zero target and they have a goal of capturing 10 megatons of C per annum of CO2 uh, by 2030. And what's interesting is, is that when you look at Europe, they actually look at CCS as a facilitator as it can unlock new industries such as blue hydrogen production and low carbon power. So the UK is really getting on with business here. Canada has adopted uh, a proactive stance vis-a-vis -vis climate change, no question about that, with increasing carbon prices. but we'd look at the sticks being in place, but not necessarily the carrots or incentives. Let me give you some, some numbers. Just as a reference, then Canada's federal government uh, has established national standards on carbon pricing, $40 a ton Canadian this year, rising to 50 in 2022, and then it'll escalate by $15 a ton per year to 170 by 2030. So essentially the carbon price in Canada is going to more, is going to more than triple uh, over eight years, which is actually quite dramatic. And it has targeted large emitters with outputs of 50,000 tons per year with individuals receiving offsets via rebates. Now, back in the April 2021 budget, the federal government proposed to introduce an investment tax credit or ITC for capital invested in CCUS. And the goal is to reduce CO2 by at least 15 megatons per annum and that is expected to be uh, in effect beginning in 2022. Now, CCUS in Canada is looked upon as the only currently available technology with the potential to create negative emissions. That's really important. And it will be available across, across a wide range of CCUS applications. So think of fuels, concrete and plastics and blue hydrogen, uh, but not enhanced oil recovery. There was a consultation period, a 90-day consultation period that actually ended in early September. And so we are awaiting details on the shape of that ITC. But we made the point in the report, we think it's important that it be refundable, transferable, and payable on upfront qualifying capex, and obviously backed by policy durability to really go and spur private investment. I think the last thing I'd, I'd probably do here, Andre, is, is maybe just highlight the oil sands pathways to net zero initiative. Now this was un unveiled back in June and now consists of a sextet of oil sands producers 
that account for about 95% of oil sand emissions, which are around 68 megatons per annum. They launched a plan to achieve net zero scope one and two emissions by 2050. That is expected to cost somewhere around 75 billion Canadian over the next 30 years. And about half that equation actually involves carbon capture storage, capturing emissions up in Fort McMurray and Coal Lake and Christina Lake, and then transporting that CO2 to storage in the Coal Lake region. Um, these are large companies, they're serious, and we know based upon their track record that they can execute. And so we look upon the ITC as kind of the missing piece right now, but one that's really critical to getting shovels in the ground on enabling infrastructure if we're truly serious about the how in cutting emissions uh, predominantly in Canada. Thanks, Greg. This has been really informative, and I can see why you and our Andrew team are so interested in the future of CCS as part of the CO2 solution in tackling global warming. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, discussing this exciting opportunity with us today. So what else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We'll be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. We also ask that you listen to Lori Calvacina's podcast, Markets in Motion, provided by RBC Capital Markets. Until then, thank you for joining us on this episode recorded November 23rd, 2021. And make sure you subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to continue this conversation or you're interested in more information, please contact your RBC representative directly or visit our website at www.rbccm.com slash industries in motion. Thank you very much. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.